0: Let's pray. Father God, as we look at the first 11 verses of Philippians 1, please open our eyes to see. Help us to have teachable hearts. Lord, we pray you'd guide my words, that all I say would be faithful to your word, true, helpful for enabling us to see what it means and how to live in response. Guide us by your spirit now. Work in us for the glory of Christ. Amen. Please keep your Bible open at Philippians chapter 1. I forgot my clicker. I'm just going to run back and get it. When we think about the Christian life or what God asks of us, I think we often picture it like this. We can think of the Christian life living as followers of Jesus running on a treadmill. We have to run hard. We have to work hard. Keep striving with all our efforts, not stop. Or maybe God will not be pleased with us. He won't accept us, not approve of us, and we'll fall short. Too often, I think, many of us picture the Christian life as one of obeying rules, lots of rules, burdensome rules, and and then we're striving for those things, to do those things, even in our own strength. What I love about the book of Philippians that we're starting today is it helps us to see who we are in Christ and all that comes in him and through our living relationship with him. I think maybe we're better off picturing the Christian life like this, like Eric Liddell, chariots of fire, running hard but looking up. In the film, he says, God made me fast, And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I pray that even through your sufferings and trials, that this book will deepen your joy, deepen your love, and your desire to serve one another and our Savior, who gives you all that you need, all that we need to serve him and follow him. Philippians is a joy-producing book. We live in a world of stress and anxiety, and God in this book speaks to us. I pray that we will all be captivated by Christ and that, that joy will flood our souls. We're reading in, we've just finished reading the whole letter, and I'll have a much shorter sermon today as we look at verses 1 to 11. I've got three points. The first is written to who? Who is the letter written to? It's written by Paul, primarily, particularly, and Timothy to the church in Philippi. Philippi is there at the center top of that map. It's in modern-day Greece. Now, Acts chapter 16 tells us that the Apostle Paul first went to that city on his second missionary journey. The city was called Little Rome. It was really influenced by Roman culture, lots of Roman citizens living there. And Paul, Silas, Timothy... in in about 51 AD, went outside of the city of Philippi to a place of prayer, and they met a group of women. And a woman named Lydia was the first Philippian to believe in the Lord Jesus, to believe the gospel. And the Philippian church was surely built around and met in her household, potentially that of the Philippian jailer as well, who also believed in the Lord Jesus to be saved. And so Paul and his team, they planted the church. They returned to the church in Acts chapter 20 to strengthen and encourage them. And now, about 10 years later, after his first visit, Paul writes from prison, likely in Rome, the setting being the end of Acts 28. But more importantly than who Paul writes to, who they write to geographically, is who they write to spiritually. Look at verse 1. It's to all the saints In Christ Jesus. Saints are God's holy people. All believers who've been set apart by God from the kingdom of darkness to be in close relationship with him. And their location positionally is in Christ. They are spiritually in Christ. They're joined to Jesus by faith and by the Spirit. And so when any, whenever anyone trusts in the once crucified and now risen living Lord Jesus, they get their sins forgiven. They get reconciled to God. We get to join God's family and become part of his people. All comes through trusting Jesus. And so that can be you today. You can become close to God and join his people by trusting in his son. And God's spirit works in us and comes to dwell in us through faith in Christ. And so for the Christian, amazingly for the Christian, you're in him and he's in you. I thought that picture somehow in some way tries to represent it. Though no, I know it's not perfect. But He's in us, we're in him. And that should give us joy. Christ is with us and in me. The Spirit gives us a vital and living connection between us, his people, and with our Lord Jesus. And so all believers are new people with new life, and it means that we now have a new way of looking, looking at all of our life. It means we have; it affects everything, our identity. It gives us a new identity. And so Paul writes to the Christians and their church leaders, those who are in Christ, in Philippi. Next point, Paul is thankful for what? In verses 3 to 8. Verse 7 makes clear that Paul's writing from prison. And as he thinks of the Philippians, verse 3, he thanks God for them. There is real, authentic Christian fellowship between Paul and these Philippian Christians. They are people that he really cares about. Verse 7, I have you in my heart. Verse 8, he deeply misses them. He's truly thankful for the relationship they share and the encouragement that they are to him. I mean, when you draw this together, and there's more verses as we heard in the whole letter, but in chapter 1, it's verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 7 and verse 8 that are all communicating Paul's love for them. And so he's thankful for them, really loves them. To be honest, sometimes I find it a challenge to love people. To love other people and to relate to them sometimes it I think for all of us, probably it can be hard work can drain us, and yet paul's not staying distant from people while he 's distant physically, his heart is committed to them, and he it's a close relationship isn't there he's really invested he really cares, and he's really blessed by them in return there's real love, real closeness, so I pray that as we go through this letter together that God will bring such closeness more and more between us and one another in this church Paul is thankful for the his Philippian friends he's thankful that what God has started in them God will finish verse 6 the gospel has been bearing fruit in their changed lives in their faith in their love in their generosity and he says while well, God has finished what well, God has started he will finish is going to complete it. And this says to us that we don't work to save ourselves. We don't work to earn God's acceptance. God does it. The outcome is guaranteed. Not because we run on the life treadmill hard enough or long enough. God does it. God works in us and through his people by his grace. And so the Philippians' good works are God's enabled and that's why Paul thanks God and verse 4 he's not only thankful he's also expressing his joy isn't he every time he prays for them it's with joy and what prompts his joy and his thankfulness over and over and over it's your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now Ever since they've known Paul, ever since they've been followers of Jesus, they've partnered with Paul in his ministry. Right at the end in chapter 4 verse 15, it tells us that from the start they financially supported Paul's gospel ministry. And surely that's because they'd been saved by the gospel. They'd been saved by God's grace through Jesus and now they wanted others to experience that too. And then when the Philippians heard of Paul's imprisonment and need, they sent him Epaphroditus, one of their leaders, with a significant financial gift with him. 4 verse 18. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, writing about five years earlier than this letter, Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth about the Macedonians that was, who were particularly Philippians. And, and this is what Paul said of the churches in Macedonia. He spoke of their severe trial, their extreme poverty that didn't stop them giving. And so they gave joyfully and generously to the Jerusalem believers who were experiencing famine at the time. And so the Philippians were poor and suffering themselves, but they still wanted to give to others who were in poverty the generosity wells up from them because their hearts have been changed by the gospel. Joy of the gospel has changed them, makes them want to give. Can you see that this partnership is multifaceted? It involves love and care, financial support, prayers, even sending people, Epaphroditus, to partner with him. And their partnership enabled it facilitated Paul to do his ministry all the more and Paul in return he's blessed them he's taught them he's encouraged them he's prayed for them verse 7 they were partners with Paul in grace it's in grace because God's grace enabled them all to do what they did and they're also all wanting to communicate the message of God's grace God's grace in Jesus. They want the gospel to go out and save and transform the lives of other people too. And so this partnership, this support, this encouragement, it really went both ways. I love the language of partnering with people in gospel ministry. It really comes out in in some of the prayer letters of people that we read, the prayer letters from people who are missionaries or gospel workers that we support even in this church. I think of some AFES workers here, or who came to my mind when I thought about this were Nat and Warwick Shorts when they served in West Africa for many years. Many times in their emails, they expressed their appreciation for the partnership of others with them. And I know many of you enabled them to do their ministry there. A couple from a mission organization I'm involved with myself recently wrote these words as they start out on this process of seeking people to partner with them. They said, we cannot do this alone, and so we ask you, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to join us. There are several ways we can partner in this gospel work, using our various gifts to see God's kingdom come. Would you prayerfully consider sending and supporting us long-term in some of the following ways? Firstly, prayer, Holding the ropes, so to speak, to sustain us and see hearts change. Or financially, recurring and one-off support frees us to be fully engaged in Central Asia. Or encouragements, help us keep our eyes focused on Jesus' priorities. Call us, message or visit, send gifts or videos or gifts to our children. Logistics, help plan home assignments, accommodation, cars, church meetings or you can help us communicate, represent us to others, like your church, your Bible study group, your youth group, your friends. And I hope I hope today that whether you're seven years old, 17, 70, or whatever your age, I hope you can see that you can do some of this, Christian. It makes a huge difference to them, the people we partner with, and to us. And when Jesus' salvation has given us joy, we want others to experience that too, don't we? That's why we partner with people who are involved in sharing the gospel. Can I say, though, that I myself also feel joy when I consider the many of you here who partner with us at Bandura Presbyterian Church. So many of you pray and encourage others, and give financially, and help practically. You you sacrifice your time to voluntarily love and serve, lead, as we seek to reach our wider community with the gospel, as we seek to grow together in Christ. I thank God for you all. And I pray that we will continue unified in gospel partnership Bundy, for the glory of God. And if you're coming regularly to this church, if you're committed to this church, but not partnering with us in making disciples, please join us. If you don't know what that looks like and you want to do that, please talk with an elder or with a pastor. final point is praying for what? What's Paul praying for them? It's verses 9 to 11. Firstly, he prays, doesn't he, that their love will keep on growing. Surely that is their love for God and for others, following the great two greatest commandments. And the more we love God, the more we will desire it and have the capacity to love others. The two commands are connected. But notice that what Paul actually prays is that their love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So we need God-given insight to know how to love people helpfully in their situation according to their needs, not just in the way that we think is best. Now, if I see someone, a brother or sister who is sad, I might think that that person needs a hug. But that might be the last thing they want from me. I know Neil does not like hugs. He won't want you to give him a hug. So Paul is praying that, they will know how to love one another. And he prays that growing love for God and others will result in them living lives that are pure and blameless and righteous. And he talks about superior, so not just doing what's nice or doing what's okay, but doing what's excellent, what is best in God's eyes as we live for him. So all of this, it's describing inner and outer holiness, it's talking about moral integrity and purity, and living lives that please God, growing in sanctification until Christ returns and for the glory of God. So what a great prayer for us to pray for one another here. What a great prayer to pray for your family, for the missionary you haven't heard from in a while and you're not sure what to pray. Turn to Philippians 1. And how do we live this out? How can they or we live and love like this? Please know again it's not in our own strength. It comes, verse 11 says, through Jesus Christ. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ at work in us. And we'll grow in our love and our knowledge and our holiness as we gaze upon Jesus. Kids, maybe you've been coloring. Can you listen for a minute? Kids, I love the story of Basil the branch. Over and over, Basil the branch tries to produce fruit out of his branch by trying harder and straining harder with no success, total failure. Tries over and over. And then, just like Jesus is the vine, In John chapter 15, the vine says to Basil, the branch, you can't produce grapes on your own. Stop straining and just stick with me. And so Basil focused on the vine. And over time, a beautiful bunch of grapes grew. You and I need to keep focused on Jesus if we want to grow. That means we keep reading, we keep thinking about the glory of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the greatness of Christ and his finished work. We keep prayerfully seeking and relying on his strength and not our own pathetic strength. As I conclude, I ask you, how are you going at loving those you live with? How are you going at loving your brothers and sisters here? I think this is a prayer that we all need to pray for ourselves, for one another, for our church. We've been given here in this letter an example of someone who was suffering in prison and yet he's focused on and he's thankful for what God is doing in the lives of others. He's praying for them, not himself. What an example for us. When praying for others, we get diverted away from our own problems. And this selfless praying, it is good medicine for our own troubled souls. Because this praying for others, it takes our gaze off ourselves and puts it on to others and puts it on to what we all have. In Christ, what matters? When we're saved by Christ, when we're in him, it results in love and joy and thankfulness, results in partnering with others, results in prayer. Pray that those things will grow in your life and in our lives. Let's pray together now. Father God, we, so often we're selfish. We do focus on ourselves. So often we get consumed by our own circumstance, our own problems, our own suffering, and we pray you'd forgive us. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who was thankful for and loved others, thankful for their gospel partnership, prayed for them, move us to be people of thankfulness and prayer Grow our love for the glory of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you might grow our joy. There would not be fleeting happiness that comes and goes, but may it last, because we're always remembering and thankful for all that we have in our Saviour Jesus. As we study this letter together over the coming weeks, make us more like your Son, Father, until he returns, and for your glory. Amen.